You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. You're listening to Tony Telecasts from The Ensemblist, the only podcast that shows you Broadway from the inside out. I'm Aaron Albano. And I'm Mo Brady. Welcome. Fremda. Étranger. Stranger. Welcome, listeners, to our miniseries bringing you all the drama behind the drama of a theater season in Broadway history. In each podcast episode, we will watch a telecast of a previous Tony Awards. Not only the performances and the speeches, but the season as a whole. So let's dive in and talk about the 1998 Tony Awards. But first, Mo, take us back to 1998. I'd be happy to, Aaron. A young 17-year-old Mo Brady is playing Fagin in the Issaquah High School production of all... No, that's not what you meant? That's not what you wanted? Okay, great. Sorry. The 52nd Annual Tony Awards were held on June 7th, 1998 at Radio City Music Hall, hosted by Rosie O'Donnell for the second year in a row. Going into the ceremony, Ragtime led the pack with 13 nominations, followed by The Lion King with 11. The acclaimed roundabout theater production revival of Cabaret had 10 nominations, with Sideshow and The Scarlet Pimpernel as new musicals and 1776 and The Sound of Music as revivals. But aside from the telecast, what was happening at the time, Aaron? A lot of things happened during the 97-98 season, Mo. A lot of which was covered in all the politically skewed humor of the telecast. President Bill Clinton was in his second term in office, and by the time of this broadcast, he was elbow deep in the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Ooh. Yep. Oh, simpler times, Aaron. Also referenced as a joke in the telecast, 1998 brought upon the advent of Viagra, which was approved by the FDA in March of that year. LOL. In New York, this season also marks the Disneyfication of Broadway. We're in a partnership of Disney, Livent, and the new 42nd Street Incorporated, transformed Times Square from the seedy, sketchy neighborhood history knew it to be to the child-friendly, glamorous tourist trap we know it is today. This season also boasted the opening of 35 Broadway productions, and notably, this was the year that Cats surpassed Chorus Line as the longest-running show on Broadway. Meow. You see, I told you the orchestra was beautiful. And now, presenting the Cabaret Girls! Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Does anyone wants to just make this clear? Aaron did both those shows on Broadway. Just so we're clear. Shut up. <laughs> How dare you? Aaron Gilbano. Let's pour one out for the <laughs> non-nominated musicals. As we're starting every episode with, let's talk about mm-hmm. the musicals that were not nominated. Uh, first off, Triumph of Love. Do you know anything about this show? 
I don't. I don't really know anything about any of these. Sounds great, though. I would have loved to see it. Okay. It was a seven-person musical that featured Betty Buckley, F. Murphy Abraham, Susan Egan, Christopher Sieber, Nancy Opel, Roger Bart, and Kevin Chamberlain. I mean, it's a solid cast. I mean, I'll see them. I'll see those seven people do anything. Fair. The Cape Man, which is sort of the skewered musical of the telecast, right? That's the one that gets a joke in from Rosie O'Donnell. You're right, because this is the Paul Simon show. Mm-hmm. Yes. Got it. It ran from December to March, which is not a typical running time for a Broadway musical. Typically, if you run in December, you think you're going to make it to June. Yeah. Um, but it did feature Sarah Ramirez and veteran ensemblist John Jellison in the ensemble. Work. Okay. And the third was High Society. Now, this was the only currently running musical not nominated at the time. So it was perhaps the like lone wolf, but it did feature Mark Kudish, Jennifer Smith, famed ensemblist, and a young, young Tony nominated Anna Kendrick. Oh, that was that show. You know, this was the show that had their own Tony party that was just drinking and being like, <laughs> screw this, Tony's, and just checking their grosses every week. Let's talk about the opening number. Opening number. Aaron, okay. give us a rundown of the opening of the 1998 Tony Awards. Okay, so the, the telecast opens with Rosie O'Donnell in her second time hosting, which can I tell you, I forgot just how good Rosie O'Donnell was at this. She's very good at it. She's really good at this. But it starts with, I guess it's a big diva medley, kind of spoofing Roxy, but she's learning how to be a diva. So instead of Roxy from Chicago, it's all about divas, yes. Yeah, she talks about how she wants to be a diva. And first, it just sounds like it's going to be her introducing these other divas, which we start with Patti Lapone singing Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. But then the cast of Chicago comes out to back her up for the rest of the number. And I was like, oh, this number's growing. And then we then get treated to a performance of And I'm Telling You by Jennifer Holliday and Memory by Betty Buckley, which I love that she like did the opening and then went to go take a seat for her nomination. Good for her. Just a star all around. What'd you think of the opening? I really liked it. It was chill. It was not as like explosive as... The one we have just seen. I know. It's so hard for me to look at this one, not in comparison to 2013, which we just watched. I was like, that's it. That's it. (laughs) Although I will say I do love the way that it was these three divas, but then also the ensemble was the cast of a show. It was the cast of Chicago who had just opened the year prior and had won the year prior. It was another opportunity to sort of like advertise a show instead of like a hand-picked ensemble from whoever choreographed the number. Yeah, it's a weird idea. I mean, not that the ensemble of Chicago was not hand-picked by a person. <laughs> well, yes, correct. <laughs> but, but like it was, it was... Another show. It was another way to feature an existing show on Broadway to say, hey, these are some people you can go and see if you wanted to buy tickets also. They won last year. Go watch them. I wanted to ask you about the choice of these three performances, these three divas. Did it feel like the right three divas to you? For those three women, that's pretty representative of the creme de la creme of Broadway in 1998. The shows they were representing, maybe not. But we're not talking about like, hey, Rosie, this is how you be in these shows. This is, hey, Rosie, this is how you be a diva in our industry. So I think we're good to go. Yeah, there was no Cheetah Rivera. There were no triple threats. She was not learning how to be a triple threat diva. No, she was learning how to be a park and barker. Yes, that is real. That is very true. So let's talk about putting a hat on a hat. 
I thought the use of Rosie in this was so interesting. Okay. Because outside of the opening, basically Rosie would come out and tell a joke. Yes. And the audience would laugh. And then the voice of God would say, here's a presenter. And then the presenters would come out and introduce the awards. So I think now what we do basically is we say, here's Audrey McDonald and Brian Stokes Mitchell. And then they come out and they are like forced to try to make a joke and then present this. Like, yeah, they're like takes, the faux hosts of that category. Right. And this takes yes. that entire responsibility off of them. And Rosie O'Donnell just makes a joke about Bill Clinton or Viagra. Yeah. Yeah. Is it putting a hat on hat or is it actually the right amount of hats? You know, honestly, I get why we do it the way we do now. But something about this format in 1998 where we're using Rosie to, I don't know, host the show. (laughs) Like, I really dug it. I thought she was a fantastic host. The audience was dying. The way she just drove the ceremony along. I was fine with it because she knew how to do that. We didn't need some presenter to try to be witty and pithy via teleprompter. Right. Because she had it covered. Yeah. What I didn't like was the voice of God when the presenters would come out would say, basically, this person is from film or television, but they're also a stage actor. Oh, yeah. Like literally every single presenter was like, you know them from this, but did you know they're also- They're also from this. <laughs> this. Like it was such a tired trope. And I, it was, sure. I'm like, who is watching the Tony Awards for the presenters? I can promise you zero people watch it. It's like that thing that they're like trying to reach like middle America or oh, non-theater sure. fans and being like, But Carrie Russell is on it. I mean, isn't this what all, like every year that CBS and the Tonys have this struggle where like they desperately want the audience and they think the way to go is to get as Hollywood as possible? Let's just have a party. Let's just have a party at Sardi's. We'll put it on YouTube. The future, us, the children of America can watch it and we'll call it a day. And we'll be here at 2040 to like recap them later. (laughs) See you then, Aaron. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus well so last time we talked about how all of these tony telecasts try to present the non-musicals I, or I the plays you. for lack of a better i call them talkicals <laughs> That's so rude. Oh, poor plays. Always get the short end of the stick. I love plays. I love seeing plays. Just not at the Tony. Just not at the Tony Awards. So this season, we have Alec Baldwin reading from a teleprompter. And for the production of art, we get B-roll. 
And it's like Alfred Molina, Alan Alda, and Victor Garber, which is like a solid cast. And he just talks about the show, and then we get footage from the show. But then we get to the other three, which is Beauty Queen of Lanan, Golden Child, and Freak. And then Miss Thing starts giving a monologue, and I was like, oh, we're seeing a performance. And then he moves on to Golden Child, who also gives a performance. And then we get Freak, who gets a mic problems performance. Oh, that's so disappointing. <gasps> Poor John Leguizamo. God bless. It wouldn't be the Tony Awards without a mic problem, to be honest. Fair. That's real. But then I was like, A, where's art? B, art aside, was this successful? I actually think this was good. I liked it. Okay. I do think it's weird that Art was not in it because Art was running. It ran for over a year. Art was running? Yeah. I thought originally it was like a Mystery of Edwin Drood will show B-roll thing, but I don't, uh-huh. I don't know. Tony's a weird man. <laughs> a part of me was like, oh, these three stars just couldn't be bothered. I want to talk about why the telecast was so short. Okay. So when I watched it, I was like, oh, it's only two and a half hours long. And then I realized it was actually only 90 minutes long. Yeah, this telecast was very short. Even the 1991 Tony Awards were an hour and 53 minutes long, right? These were like a clean 90 minutes. We were in and out. And they were hardcore about shortening it. You could tell Nathan Lane had had it. (laughs) They told him to shorten it up and, and he was like not happy with it. Yeah, why so short? Not clear. There were two great, you know, there's like a normal number of nominees for both musical and revival. Unclear. And yet, <laughs> it was a full telecast. It was a full show. We did it. Like, I was kind of fine with it. I was like, can they always be under two hours? Because this is great. <laughs> or, hey, look, it's possible to fit all of the awards in three hours. Want to just do that? Fair. That's real. Yeah. Mm. I was like, I don't need another performance of The Phantom of the Opera. Because we did just fine without it. Like, it was fascinating. It was a well-encapsulated show. Yeah. I was fine with it. I'd be fine with it, too. It was hosted. There was an opening number. And we had performances from the shows. 90 minutes, no intermission. Who could ask for anything more? Let's talk about the nominated performances. Yeah. Ugh. I feel like this Tony Awards has two iconic Tony performances. And the first is the opening number from Ragtime. Oh my gosh. This to me is like one of the best. Do you agree? Or is this like live in the same place in your mind? I'm, I mean, I don't even know if it's if it's an iconic Tony performance. It's just an iconic musical theater opening in general. Ragtime is a musical that was written with a great Tony performance song. <laughs> Because, like, they basically just took the opening, right? And they were like, yeah. well, there you go. We introduced you to folks. Yeah. They, like, chopped it up a little bit to get it within the time frame. But, like, we got it. I also loved how it just filled the space. I mean, we've talked about how things either fill up Radio City or don't. And, mm-hmm. man, Ragtime filled up that stage. Those huge triangles of everybody walking around each other. Well, and here's the best part. Because it's like, talk about masterful storytelling in one number. Mm-hmm. Like, it filled the space. Not because we had three like pyramids, which we did, and they were moving in tandem with each other, but story-wise, the negative space between them filled the rest of the space up. That's right. Like You're right. Yeah. All, all three of these pods, for lack of a better word, 
are really tight into each other, just like in the show and just like in the history that it is talking about. The tension between the pods were able to fill up Radio City Music Hall in a way that no one else was able to do. There are camera shots mm-hmm. in this performance of Ragtime that are like etched in my brain, probably okay. because I was 17 years old. Sure. But like that pan across from like stage left to stage right, where you like see close ups of everybody when they're like sort of like dancing by themselves uh-huh. and then they go to the triangles. Yeah. You get this pan across the entire stage and then you see all of these like actors like in their moment and it's so beautiful to watch it's the perfect commercial for the show it was moving it was riveting it was entertaining but you know exactly what that show's about Mm -hmm. and it left you like oh i want to go see what happens next to these people correct good job terrence mcnally also good job graciela danielle yes (laughs) also brian stokes mitchell in 1998 was a snack he's a snack in 2020 what are you talking about he's a snack in 2020 but he was like a 20 year younger snack in 1998 (laughs) he came out and i was like oh oh i get it um sound of music the question i wrote was why does trotting out a classic musical at the tonys feel less icky than when annie did it in 2013 because sound of music is better than annie (laughs) that's all i got for you (laughs) sound of music is great sound of music so wonderful it's yeah. It's Sound of Music. And Doremi is like hokey, but it's also really great. They get mid-song applause for marching. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And also, and like between Climb Every Mountain, which is low-key my favorite song in the show, when that's starting your quote-unquote performance, because that was straight up pre-record, right? Oh, sure. Yes. because I think because of the costume change from Rebecca Luker going from wedding dress into... Strong choice. Yeah, I thought it worked. And I thought it was pretty seamless, too, because I think they had the nuns like standing over like all the way over on the side at Radio City. So uh-huh. they could go from like nuns in B-roll cut to nuns at Radio City. Yeah. And like it all felt rather seamless. Mm-hmm. And they paid them anyway. So I'm glad that the nuns didn't get cheated out of their Tony's money. There you go. 1776? 1776. Sit down, John. <laughs> How'd you like this? I don't really know 1776. I was like, sure. That's a lot of dudes. It's a lot of dudes. It's so many dudes. I just recently watched 1776 for another podcast. But... Oh, what podcast was that, Aaron? That would have been Broadwasted. I've heard of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> also on the Broadway Podcast Network. Mm-hmm. Also on the Broadway Podcast Network. Shout out to Brian, Kevin, and Kimberly. Hmm. But... Because I like 1776 after no- now knowing the show... It's a big cast of just all white men. But the one thing that I thought about when they were doing their performance was like, wow, these men are belting. And it reminded me of this story. Jeff Pugh and I went to high school together and he said this back in the day and I'll never forget it. He was talking about like the difference between choral singing and musical theater singing. And he was like, Ugh, choral singing so annoying because everyone's concerned with blending and how they sound and their tone. Where musical theater singing, everyone's just singing as loud as they can. And if they happen to blend, then bonus. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's kind of accurate. And this performance proves that theory because they're just screlting at John Adams. And maybe it blends, maybe it doesn't. <laughs> But that was what I took away from 1776. That it was loud.
Let's talk about the second of what I would call the iconic performances from 1998, which is the circle of life from The oh Lion King. Oh my God. Firstly, like, no tea, no shade. When a show has been running for a very, very long time, it is very easy to just write it off as something that is sort of tired and sort of... It's for tourists. It's not real art. Yeah. To watch this performance right at the peak of excitement, A, just seeing a show at that time in its run is already thrilling. Mm -hmm. And then watching something as iconic as the circle of life in that state was breathtaking. And I was like, we all know Lion King. I know this music like the back of my hand. I've seen this movie more than that. And yet watching this performance, it took my breath away. And it took my breath away 22 years later. What is it about this number that does that? I have a few ideas. Go. One is that something about the song and the orchestrations and the vocal orchestrations for the Broadway version specifically. Mm-hmm. It just feels like a warm bath. Like every time I listen okay. to yeah. this song, I feel like I'm getting into a hot tub and my entire body starts to tingle. It's just like... All the chords just work in this way that makes the hairs on my body stand. And then it's like, it's the best of what theater can be. And I don't mean that The Lion King is the best show. I just mean that it's similar to Harry Potter, where you like see the strings of this magic and yet you can like simultaneously know it's not real and yet it feels exciting. Yeah. Right. It's not trying to be an illusion. It is using art and the suspension of disbelief of that art to be fully artistic. Puppetry is one of the oldest forms of theater. Oh, sure. Right. Like I was counting the number of like, because in the ragtime number, Mm -hmm. they got the mid number applause when they were doing the triangle shifting. And so I was like, okay, how many times do they cheer for the eventual winner of best musical in the middle of the number? And it was like, they cheer when the giraffes come on. They cheer when the zebras come on. They cheer when the elephant comes out. I mean, the elephant. There will never be a moment that is like more weepy inducing for me in the theater than the moment the elephant comes down the aisle. Uh, It's so good. It's just... Well, and it's also like, it's this... I feel like one of the things that like the whisperings and mutterings about the 1997-1998 season Mm -hmm. is that like Ragtime should have won, Ragtime was the show, and Disney sort of stole it from Ragtime. Sure, I remember that narrative. And just watching it again, I'm just like, yo, I don't know, guys. Like, (laughs) Ragtime is strong, but so is this. Like... On one hand, it is apples and oranges. You cannot compare the two, even though we force the... But that's literally what the Tonys do. Yeah. It forces us to compare. Yeah, it forces us to do it anyway. But like, this number is so moving 22 years later Uh that I'm just like, you can't really say (laughs) that this fodder stole Ragtime's rightful place in musical theater history. Like, just both very good. Yeah. And then we have... Milk toast. What <laughs> What did you think of Vilkelman from Cabaret? I was so underwhelmed by this performance. Yeah? I was watching it and I was literally like, yeah, this feels like Cabaret. And on one hand, I'm just like, are we in 2020 where this just feels normal? And I think that's true. I think it is exactly true, yeah. But I think it's because 1998 Cabaret redefined what Cabaret was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I, all the shout-outs to Joel Grey, 
we don't think of him anymore when it comes to the MC. Is that true? Do you not think of him as the MC? I think of him as an MC. I think of him as the original MC. But when I think of the iconic MC, it is Alan, Alan Cumming. Isn't that crazy? I, the same for me. It's probably has to do with our age, obviously. But sure. Like... Well, and, I, and and again, I think it's because this production of this show redefined the show. Sort of the same way we're like, and feel free to disagree with me. I feel like 1991 Once in This Island was a show, but 2018 Once in This Island redefined that show. Sure. Both are great and both are valid and both are beautiful in the history of Broadway. But the, tw- the, the revival redefined what we thought of the environment of that show. Mm-hmm. Well, the revival, probably for Cabaret and Once on this Island, was an amalgamation of all of the best ideas from regional productions and international productions and school productions, community. Sure. You know, there's sort of like tropes that end up happening with that show and then they become part of the like milieu of around that show so that when Once on the Silent comes back in 2018, there's like some things that we as theater artists have learned about that show that mm-hmm. nobody knew in 1991 that now seem sure. obvious. And so when they're incorporated in the eventual Broadway revival, it's like, well, yeah, these things should have always been in the show. And so it feels like it's that much more kind of found its truth. Yeah. I think this then gets into a bigger conversation, which we won't have today, but like the revival versus the revisal of shows mm-hmm. and whether just a remounting of an old production is good enough versus a revisal, like where you bring more things to it. Yeah. And I think that's what Cabaret did for this show. Watching it again, especially since we just had the revival of this revival, <laughs> that's when it becomes like, all right, was this just always Cabaret? Like, because then we yeah. forget that this was right. so revolutionary in 1998. Thoughts about the Scarlet Pimpernel? <laughs> Um, Scarlet Pimpernel. <laughs> like, <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> Let's talk about the Tony performance that brought a thousand gay bar playings on the TV screens in the corners. <laughs> Sideshows, I will never leave you. What an intro. <laughs> I feel like I've seen this more than I've seen any other performance from the Tony Award. How'd you like it? So, okay, wait, before we go. So this show was closed at this moment. Yeah. So I didn't know that. And on one hand, I'm like, wow, they sound really good. Oh, that makes sense. They sound really good because these chords are fresh Mm -hmm. because they did not have a show today. No, they did not. (laughs) But okay. So was a tour going out? No, No, this was like the cheapest, best way in my opinion, to go on the Tony Awards once your show was closed. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really selling anything. It was celebrating something. And the audience ate it up. Mm-hmm. This was another, like, huge applause. Oh, I think this performance was better than the cabaret performance. And if it yeah. hadn't have been a season with such great Best Musical nominees, this could have been the best performance of the Tonys. See what rest can do? See. It's a wonder what all of our voices will sound like post-quarantine. <laughs> All right, let's give our Yelp review. Okay, so which performance made the show look better than it was, Mo? A thousand percent Sideshow, because this makes Sideshow look like a coherent, good musical that has compassionate (laughs) characters. (laughs) Okay. You? I'm going to get flack for this. Everybody don't come for me. 
I'm going to say Lion King. Only because the first time I saw Lion King was at the Pantages Theater in LA. And we were too busy driving around trying to find parking that when we got to the theater, we had missed the opening number. No. That was the response I got from everybody that I told this story to, to the point where everyone was like, you should have just gone home. When the opening number is arguably the best thing in your show. Sure. And that's not to say the show is bad. The show is fantastic. But the show is not as good as the opening number. There you go. There you go. Disney fans do not come for me. I still love you. <laughs> I love the mouse. Which performance made you want to buy a ticket? Lion King. For exactly <laughs> the same reason. <laughs> You're like, that was worth $140. Thank you. What about you? I think I'm, I'm going to say ragtime, but you know, I could go either way. Mm-hmm. Which speech moved you the most? So, for some reason, and I wrote it down, I was like, a lot of the speeches felt really heartfelt this year. More heartfelt than I feel like has been in past seasons. You? I'm dead inside because really none of them, except for kind of Audra. But like, I was like, how do you feel humble when this is like your third your one? Third win? Yeah, I think I'm just an Audra stand. So there you go. And that's what's funny because I like watching her. I was like, oh, was this her first one? And then the God Mike was like, this is her third Tony Award. And I was like, oh. Yeah, she looks like she's winning her first Tony Award. Uh -huh. I think that's what gets me. Yeah. Yeah. Biggest surprise. Art for best play. You want to know why? Because you didn't see it. <laughs> because I didn't see anything from it. And they won nothing except for best play. Oh, sure. Like, I remember during the entire telecast, I was like, oh, Beauty Queen of Lanann's going to win because they keep winning. You would assume that something that kept winning everything was going to win best play. But then art for best play. And I was like, wait, they didn't even have a performance. They were too cool for a performance. And now they're winning? Yeah. All right. I guess that play was real good. What about you? I feel like looking at it now, Marin Maisie as mother in Ragtime is more iconic than Natasha Richardson as Sally Bowles in the Cabaret Revival. Okay. I don't know if it's a surprise win, but I wonder if we would have done it differently. I don't know. I'm speaking ill about two women who have passed. I'm just going to throw that out there. You're not. You're speaking. I feel like you're speaking more about the types of roles that these two wonderful women were playing. Right. Because your argument is basically like Sally Bowles versus Mother. Yes. Both of which have very iconic 11 o'clock numbers, but one is very satisfying as a child of the contemporary musical theater. Well, I also think that Marin invented Mother in a way. Sure. That Natasha Richardson did not invent Sally. Sally, okay. Or even this sort of like non-singer, non-Liza kind of version of Sally, right? That was like, she's playing Sally Bowles in a musical, but she's not a musical theater actress. That was like- Interesting. Yeah. The shtick, right? And I uh -huh. think that's part of reason why she won. Looking at it now, I'm like, okay, you were very good, but I think that Marin creating Mother was more of like a gift to the musical theater than okay. your version of Sally. I could buy that. Sorry. No, I get it. Would you recommend watching? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of- I kind of agree. It didn't live up to 91 in 2013 that we just watched, in my Sure, opinion. of course. I mean, what's cool are the things that we've talked about. Lion King's in its prime. Ragtime is fantastic. Right. But yeah. like you could look those up and just watch those performances. I don't think there's anything solidly in the telecast. I mean, aside from like Rosie's banter. But again, you don't need to watch this hour and a half to get that Rosie is charismatic. Yes. Yes. 
So at the end of each episode, Aaron and I will randomly select a Tony telecast to watch. We will then have the following week to research the season and bring you our most surprising findings. So let's select our fourth Tony telecast. Oh my gosh, I love this part. <laughs> I have put a handful of infamous Tony seasons on pieces of paper in this basket, and I will now randomly select one to explore for next week's episode. Lip trill drumroll, please. We are watching the Tony telecast from 1988. Quick Google. This is Phantom of the Opera versus Into the Woods. Well, wow. Yeah. Okay. Angelid Weber versus Stephen Sondheim. This is it. Okay. I feel like I know who won, but then I question. I guess we'll find out. To join us for our next Tony's Recap, be sure to do your homework with us on the 1988 Tony Awards. The Ensemblist was produced today by me, Aaron Albano. And me, Mo Brady. Special thanks to Wasif Sammy for providing the background research for this Broadway season. There are two great ways you can be helping The Ensemblist right now. One is by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And the second is by becoming a Patreon member at patreon.com slash theensemblist. Please follow The Ensemblist wherever you listen to podcasts, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or at bpn.fm, the home of Broadway Podcast Network. You can also follow us on Instagram. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.